Well, hey, let me pray one more time with us before we open the Bible, open God's Word together, all right? God, I thank you, Lord, for, for this morning. God, I'm thankful, God, for, um, for bringing us here. Lord, I do want to lift up the women at the retreat today as they conclude their final session here in the next hour or so. And God, I pray that you would establish in their hearts the things that you've taught them this weekend and um, that they would come back just on fire, Lord, for you and encouraged in their faith. I pray for the ladies who weren't able to make it, that you would encourage them the same way, Lord, and that they would um, just be a, be a united uh, sisterhood uh, here in this church family. And God, I, I pray that you would speak and move in, in our lives, God, uh, as a church today and this, throughout the week ahead of us. Lord, we want to lift up the churches in our community, God, and just pray that you would bless them uh, abundantly as well. God, I pray for the pastors in this neighborhood and, and pray that you would give them wisdom to lead their church families and reach their spheres and where their churches serve, Lord. We lift, we lift up uh, Belmont Assembly of God. We, we lift up Midwestern Christian Academy or Christian Bible Church. Lord, we lift up um, City Lights Church and, and Legacy um, Victory Worship Center and, and many others, God. You, you know that they are doing a work to, to honor you. They want to please you, God, as we want to please you here at the brook. And I pray that, that you just will cause your spirit to be poured out in a sweet way uh, in this neighborhood, in this community, in this northwest side of Chicago that we love. And so, Father, I pray that in the meantime, though, as we open your word, you would give me the words to speak, God, the clarity of thought, Father, and I pray for everyone in here in this room that you uh, give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you, and God, uh, that we'd ultimately leave encouraged, God, and, and, and challenged in our faith. And so we bring this before you and pray that you would speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are today continuing on in our series in the book of Philippians, all right? And, and this to me has been a fun series because we're talking about this topic of joy, and what we've seen in the first three weeks of the series, and we'll see once more again even today, how joy in our lives is not easy to be sustained, is it? Uh, we all know that many things would come and pressure us and seek to steal the joy that we have in life. And what, what we need to understand is the Bible talks about joy, telling us that, that it's something that's found in Jesus and not something that we could find ultimately in this life by itself. It's something that God himself offers to us. And so that's what we're going to unpack even more today. I titled today's sermon, Divine Intervention. And that's what we need. That's what we need when life is hard. That's what we need every morning when we wake up. We need God to step in and stand in the gap of our lives and to open our hearts toward him. Um, There's a a poem written written by a man named C.T. Studd that I want to read just parts of the poem for you. Because there's two sentences he says twice in this poem that are going to kind of frame what we're going to talk about. He wrote this poem in the 1800s. He says this. Uh, Let me just give you a backdrop. C.T. Studd was a man who played cricket as a living. And we don't do cricket here in the United States. um, But it's kind of like a hybrid between baseball and soccer of sorts. And he was from Britain, was a, a cricket star in college, But he realized that he wanted his life to matter more than cricket. And he ended up giving up cricket to become a missionary to serve the God that he loved in China and start a mission agency there. It's the kind of stuff you're like, where does someone like that find that kind of courage and resolve? And 
And he writes this poem to express some of where this came from for him. He says this. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you walk into my house, we have those words um, plastered literally on our living room wall and framed out. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And for us, it's that regular reminder that um, what, what do we have in this life? 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. And some, very few, we reach 100. But then we look back and say, what was it for? What, what did it matter for? Only one life will soon be passed. You don't, you don't get to do this again. You, you, don't, you don't get a mulligan, to use a golf term, a, a second chance, a do-over. When you breathe your last breath, it's over. This past week, when I was doing a devotion with my kids, I think for my little guy, Levi, for the first time, the, the realities of hell, I think, finally clicked in his mind. Because we're talking about the need to tell people about Jesus and, and how life is short and, and ultimately we'll die and then it's too late. And he says, but then, but then we could pray for them when they're in hell so they can trust Jesus there. And I said, Levi, that's not what the Bible tells us. This life is it. I could tell in his little mind, as I try to shepherd his heart, it clicked for the first time. We've got one life to live. And what we must understand is that God has created you and I with a purpose. We talked about this last week. But we've got to know that you're not here by accident. God didn't put you on this earth, in this neighborhood, in this year, just for no reason. He's given you a life, and it will soon shall pass. pass. What is it that's going to last? And what the Bible tells us over and over is that what lasts is what is done for the name of God. And ultimately, that's what echoes in eternity. That that's what matters after you and I take our last breath. I want us to understand that in your story, this life is the prologue, not the conclusion. This life is the starting point, is not the end. And when we have a different framework of in prison, and he made an appeal to Caesar, the Roman emperor, and after making that appeal, he could no longer be tried in a Jerusalem court. He needed to be shipped to Rome. And he knew that when he got to Rome, then he had an opportunity to tell Caesar about Jesus. And this is all part of Paul's passion and desire. Even in his bondage, he's like, I've got joy in Jesus, and I want people to know him. While he's in a Roman prison, he writes this letter called Philippians. That's in the Bible. And it's written to a people in the city called Philippi. He was the one that went to, a ch- to the city of Philippi and started a church there. So he knew these people by name. He loved them. They were his friends. And he writes this letter to encourage them in their faith. But naturally, as he's 
writing this letter, he's reminded of the fact that they might be really discouraged because here they're saying, yes, and I will rejoice. And again, we're saying that's, that's not the kind of words that come from people in prison who are there on bogus charges, who are there unjustly. And he's like, I'm still rejoicing. He said earlier in a few previous verses, while I'm here in prison, the other prisoners and the guards and the people in this jail... They're hearing about my faith in Jesus and how Jesus came to save them and give them forgiveness so they don't have to live with their own sin and their own shame, but they can be forgiven. And they're hearing about Jesus. And Paul's like, man, this is amazing. Though I'm the one.